0: Today is June 23rd, and our chapter reading for today is Ezekiel chapter 37. Well, Ezekiel can sometimes be a book that is hard to understand, but our chapter for today is not hard to understand at all. As a matter of fact, it's very clear. Now, let's go back and pick up some context the Babylonian captivity began in 605 B.C. In 605 B.C., fresh after victory after victory, Nebuchadnezzar came through Jerusalem and took all of the blue bloods, all of those who were the elite. In that was Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael, Better known, the three, by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, named after Babylonian gods. These three Hebrew children in Daniel were just some of the many that were taken away in what is called the first phase of the Judean captivity. Nebuchadnezzar said, basically, to the people left behind, if you do not follow and do what I say, I will come back. So he set up a puppet king and went back to Babylon. Sure enough, it wasn't, but just a few years later, he had to come back. From 605 to 597, the puppet king did not do as he should have, so Nebuchadnezzar came back, and this time he took most of the people. He only left what would have been called then the offscouring, the rejects, the discards of culture and society. He set up another puppet king, but this time in the second phase of the Judean captivity that happened in 597 B.C., that's 597 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He took Ezekiel. Now, Daniel was in the palace. He was in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, later of his son, as you know, with the handwriting on the wall, when Babylon, the night that it fell, he was known by Cyrus and of Darius And so you can read about all of that in the Chronicles material and in the book of Daniel. And so Ezekiel was with a common people. He was on the river Kibar, which was a man-made canal between the Euphrates and the Tigris River. And that's where most of the Jewish people were. They were, to begin with, an agrarian people. They did very well and left behind in Jerusalem was Jeremiah the prophet that we've already taken note of. Now, Jeremiah had written a letter, and you can read about that letter in Jeremiah 29 to the Jews in captivity and said, you need to just settle in. You're going to be there for 70 years. God has brought this about. Things are not out of control. God's the one that set all of this up. And it was because he was chastising you. And as many as he loves, he rebukes and chastens. And so the reason you're in captivity and exile is because of your disobedience. But when the land has had its rest after 70 years, that is 70 sabbatical years, one year in captivity for every year that you did not keep the sabbatical year. So that was a period of well over 400 years, nearly 500 years. They didn't keep the sabbatical year, and God said, I'm keeping record. And so after 70 years, uh, Jeremiah said, you'll come back, but you need to pray For the peace of the city where you live there, because when it's in peace, you'll be in peace. When it prospers, you'll prosper. So go ahead and marry and find your place there, because you'll be there for 70 years. And then I'll return you to this land, and you will come back. And indeed, God's faithful to His promise. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because the prophecy of Ezekiel 37 is the prophecy of Israel coming back into the land. But like so many prophecies, it is not just an immediate fulfillment, but there is a secondary or dual fulfillment that took place only in our lifetime in 1948. That's right. It was a second return. The first return was under Cyrus, because as you know, when Nebuchadnezzar was overthrown and his kingdom was overthrown and his son, Belshazzar, when Cyrus came in in 500, Thirty-nine B.C., then the next year he had the records searched, and because of an uprising in Egypt and all that was going on, he was trying to consolidate his kingdom. He wanted to make as many alliances and friends as he possibly could. And so from a political standpoint, it would be better for him to have people that were friendly to him and that were his allies in that land in between the continents called the Fertile Crescent, uh, called Israel in the Bible. Bible, to have a friendly people there, to be a buffer against Egypt, and so in the providence of God, Cyrus said, I want you to go back, all of you Jews, uh, you were a great people, go build that great temple back that your King Solomon Shlomo built, the son of David, Build that temple back, worship center, and pray for me, and be loyal to me when you get back there. And remember that I have freed you to go back and do this. And so, indeed, God raised up Cyrus. Isaiah had predicted his rise and his very name over 200 years before Cyrus was born in Persia. So the people went back, and 538, a decree was issued, and the people went back. After about three years, 50,000 had gone back, and they laid the foundation for the temple, and 535, they only worked on it for about a year. It took them a year to lay the foundation, and then they stopped. And they stayed that way until 520 when Haggai and Zechariah came on the scene. You can read their prophecies in the Tanakh and the prophets, what we call the minor prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and called the people, encouraged them, and worked with them. And they went back to rebuilding the temple, the second temple, as it were. And in four years, they dedicated 516 B.C., now, the reason I'm telling you all of that is because the people came back into the land the first time then. But as you know, they were under the authority of another kingdom and another king, the Persians. Then after that came Alexander the Great in 333 B.C., and you had the kingdom of the Greeks. And it was a powerful kingdom, and it lasted all the way down to 63 B.C. when the Roman general Pompey made his entry into Jerusalem and. In What we call the Middle East or the used to be called the Near East. So the rest is history and you have the birth of Jesus and so forth and the Roman Empire. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because from the time of the Hasmoneans and the Greek period, From the Roman period onward, for the last 2,000 years, the Jews have been out of the land scattered throughout the earth. 70 A.D., they fled when the temple was destroyed that they had built in 516. It only lasted a little over 500 years, about 550 years, and it was destroyed in 70 A.D. and 135. All the Jews were completely banned from all of Jerusalem. The name of the entire area was changed His name, the city of Jerusalem was changed from the city of Jerusalem to Alia, Capitolina. All of that area was called Palestina, Syria palestinia and that's where we get the term palestine palestine was not called that until a hundred years after the resurrection of jesus just remember that there was no such thing as palestine in the days of jesus it was judea samaria and the galilee these were roman provinces during the days of jesus now i'm giving you all that background to say simply this, that for 2,000 years from the Hasmonean period on, the Jews were not in the land under their own authority and sovereignty. In 1880, there was a great movement. It started in uh, earlier than that, but really picked up steam with uh, what is called modern-day Zionism and uh, Theodor Herzl, later the first uh, World Zionist Congress in Basel, on and on and on the history of Zionism. But the Jews, for the first time from the 1850s on, started coming back to Jerusalem for the first time in 1,800 years, not to die, but to live. You see, for the first uh, 1,800 years after the expulsion and the diaspora of 70 A.D., Jews came back to Israel to die, to be buried there in their ancestral homeland. But around 1850, and it picked up in the 1880s, there was a movement called Zionism when Jews started coming back to the land not to die, but to live. And that was the turning point. It was not 50 years after the first uh, Zionist Congress that Theodore Herzl said one day there will be a state. Within 50 years, there was. In 1948, Ben-Gurion gaveled in the state of Israel in what is Tel Aviv today, the modern state of Israel was born in a day, just as Isaiah the prophet said that there would be. And Ezekiel's prophecy came to pass, Ezekiel 37. Now let's read about it. Ezekiel in the valley, the Mesopotamia Valley, by the river Kibar, he said, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, very many what? Very many bones, and indeed they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely... I will cause breath, that is life, to enter into you, and you shall live, and I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. In other words, you're going to be a whole person again. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When? When this comes to pass. That's what he's saying. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and bones came together, bone to bone. And you know songs have been written about this, the ankle bones connected to, so forth all the way through to the head And so verse 9 says, he said, also to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, to the wind, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, breathe on these slain that they may live. In other words, a dead people that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath, life, wind came into them, and they lived and stood up on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, here. Here's the key, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Now, you need to underline that in your Bibles. It is verse 11. Then he said unto me, who? God, son of man. That's Ezekiel. These bones are the whole house of Israel. The valley of the dry bones is a vision of the restoration of the nation of Israel. It's not of a dead church that needs to be revived. You see, God has a word for church. It's the word church. It's the word ecclesia in the New Testament. In Hebrew, Beit Knesset is the house of assembly. It has to do with the people assembling together. But that is not the word here. This is the house of Israel. It's talking about the nation of Israel. You have to do some verbal and linguistic gymnastics to make this say anything other than what it is. This is a prophecy of the nation of Israel coming back into existence. And the prophet Isaiah said it would be in one day. Verse 21, then say to them, that he is, these bones, these people that have come together, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, the children of Israel, the Jews, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. It's their land, it's God's land that He gave to them. They have the title, to it. He promised it to their ancestor Abraham to their ancestor Isaac and to Yaakov whose name was changed to Israel. God had promised this. He's faithful to his promise. It was an unconditional promise. I will do it. Not because of your behavior. Not because of who you are but because of who I am. And he said I will make them one nation in the land. That is they will no longer. And that's what the entire rest of the chapter is about. It's about Ephraim. That is the kingdom of Israel to the north and Judah to the south will once again be one nation, one people. He said, I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them, and there shall no longer be two nations, Israel and Judah. They will no longer be north and south, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. Israel is back in the land. And from 1948 till 1967, they only had a portion of the land. They still don't have all of the land that God promised to David and to Solomon and to Moses and to Abraham. No, but they will one day. But they have more now than they did in 1948 and 1967 and the Six-Day War and the glorious victory of the Jewish people over their enemies all around them millions upon multiplied millions coming against them God gave a miraculous wonderful victory and in six days the Jews had more land than they could say grace over that's right they were scattered thin just to conquer it but God gave it to them and they reunified the city of Jerusalem for the first time under Jewish control in over 2,000 years a nation born in a day in 1948, a city unified in one day in 1967, and one Messiah that's coming back again, coming first in the clouds, in the sky, for his own. The Bible says that will happen. But then his saints will come with him. His feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives, according to the prophet Zechariah. And he will rule and reign during the age of the Messiah, the Anointed One, just as the prophets had prophesied. God is faithful to his promise. Why is that important? Because if God is unfaithful to Abraham because of his deeds, how do we know that he would not be unfaithful to us with our deeds? After all, look at your life and mine. We've certainly not been faithful to God, but he's always faithful to us and he cannot deny himself. No, God is faithful. He's faithful to his promises that he made to Abraham, and he's faithful to the promises he made to us. If we will repent of our sins and place our trust and our faith, our whole weight upon him, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp.